Welcome to Rasa Stand, hosted by Flo. I give you history, political views, and current affairs to deal with La Raza. When I speak about the Raza, I'm talking about the brown, Spanish-speaking community. We are not monolithic. Therefore, you're going to hear a variety of different people speaking about different subjects. It is important to share our story. I'm the combination of book smart and street smart. And when I speak on something, I give you critical sources. Tune in. Cross the stand. Take a stand to understand. I still remember the day when I came home and my mom asked me, what is this? And she was referring to an opportunity that I was being offered. And I said, oh, don't worry about that. She said, what do you mean? This is free money, a scholarship to go to school. I said, Mom, I'm not going to school. And she said, well, what do you mean you're not going to school if you get an opportunity to go to school? And I continued to say, I'm not going to do it. My mom was pretty upset at my reaction to this news because I had been the first one in my entire family, even my extended family, that had the opportunity to go to a university or at least to be part of one. At the time, I was about 17 years old. I was in a junior in high school with a 2.8 GPA. So it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the worst either. But for whatever reason, she got the information that somehow my school had offered some students the opportunity to attend higher education. I was very persistent and I said, I'm not going to do this because I'm not interested in school. I hate school. I don't like it. I don't know what I'm going to study, so why would I do it? But my mom was also very persistent in telling me, no, you need to do this. If not, I'm going to talk to your dad. I mean, at this point, I was 17, and it didn't really matter what my dad said. I was already almost an adult, and I was still very, very persistent in saying no. But it wasn't until my older brother came home from work, and my older brother is about two and a half years older than I am, so he came home and he saw this, and she spoke to him. And he looked at it, and he said, you're going to go to school. <laughs> I started laughing, and I said, you're, you're telling me that I got to go to school when you're over here working your ass off at 4 a.m.? Why would I listen to you? And he said, that's exactly why you got to listen to me, because I didn't go to school. See, my older brother graduated high school about three years before I did, and he chose not to go to a university after that. He could have probably if he wanted to, but just like myself, was not really interested in school. It wasn't until he said that that the words really struck me and it made me really reflect on my decision or the one I was trying to make at the time. Because, again, I always looked up to my older brother since I was a young, young boy, and even more so as a teen. So when he told me this... I thought about it. I still didn't want to do it, but now I felt pressure from him, from my mom, and from my father. So when I went to school the next day, after this counselor had come into my class and talked about it, I decided to apply for the scholarship 
And I told myself, well, I got a 2.8. I'm sure they're going to say no to me anyway. So, you know, it's a little, it's basically a win-win for me. I mean, if they get me, cool. If they don't get me, that's cool too, right? And I remember being in uh, my history class that year, and I remember getting a call from the main office or the college um, academic office, whatever they called it. I forgot what it was called. And I remember being called into that and being told that I had been selected for this specific program. This specific program was only offered to specific individuals from all over Los Angeles. And I was one of the few who actually got accepted. And I was in shock because I couldn't believe it myself. Again, having the GPA that I had, I don't know what I said or what I did to get it at the time, but they decided to to give it to me. But I remember I felt out of place because my peers who were going with me were obviously academically superior to I was to myself because I at least I felt that way at the time. They had better GPAs and they seemed to actually want to go to school. What they told us is that it would be six of us going to UCLA for six weeks. That's all they said. It was an opportunity and experience that we would be allowed to have if we uh, we did this, right? The only problem was that we would not be offered transportation. So the six of us had to go on the bus. Now, at the time, I was living in the valley, San Fernando Valley, Bacoima to be exact. But there was one specific bus that would take you all the way to UCLA. And they offered to give us metro passes, right? So I told my mom, I said, look, this, this is what I got to do. So if, if it's a no, you got to let me know right now. Otherwise, I'm going to go. And she was okay with it. And remember I told you in my first episode or second episode that my parents were very overprotective, even at this age, even at the time where I was being rebellious, they still were, but they said go. So I was even more in shock. So I remember getting on the bus the first day, um, you know, I didn't feel like I looked like a scholar at the time. Again, I had shaved head and I had um, some dickies and a YT, so I felt out of place. Not on the bus, but at least where I was going. When I showed up to the place, I remember seeing kids from different high schools. It was mainly Latino kids, but a couple of black kids. And at the time, I hadn't really experienced being with black kids because my school was mainly uh, Latino, Raza, Chicano, whatever you want to call it. And the few experiences I did have with black folks were always negative, so it did bring up a lot of feelings at the time. But I remember the first day they showed us the documentary Chicano, more specifically the one on the walkouts. And I remember seeing this for the first time and I was like, what is this? I never seen it. I had never heard about it. They didn't know that people back in the 60s had walked out from high schools. And they told us that this particular, this particular program, you would be publicly speaking and you would do this every single day you were there. I was immediately struck with fear when I heard that because I wasn't a public speaker at 17. I was definitely very, very timid. 
um, even though I had this persona or this costume or whatever you want to call it that I put on, I was still a pretty timid person. And I was not well-spoken. Uh, and I would definitely may, be made aware of that during this program because they let me know, right? So they made you get uncomfortable real quick. And they let you know that you were going to be doing some political activism or engaging in it. Had two very good instructors, both fairly young, and they paired us up with kids from different schools. And I began to reflect. And I remember going, getting on this bus, and when we would arrive in Westwood or Bel Air, pass by Bel Air, we would see these mansions. And coming from the barrio, it was a culture shock, but it was also a rude awakening of, again, a reminder of what I didn't have. But even at 17, I told myself, one day I'm going to have this. Because I belong here. I remember the advice from my dad, the advice from my teachers. And I definitely remembered hearing that stuff in the back of my head as I was going through this route. So after a couple of weeks, we became more acquainted with the program, going back and forth, waking up at seven, six in the morning, getting up at seven, getting there at eight. We were usually we were usually the last ones to get there because our bus is always late. Everybody had transportation. Everybody was close to it. We were the Valley kids, right? But I learned a lot about myself and about the other kids in that, in that uh, environment. And I learned that I belonged. Right. Overall, at the end of the program, we had to give this long presentation about what we learned. And it was then and there that I realized that my voice was my gift. That I had the voice to speak, to present, to project, to depict things. And this is around the same time where I was barely getting involved with hip hop. So it would be a combination and I remember when I was done with, with my presentation, uh, the standing ovation that I received from the students, from the parents, from the instructors, letting me know that this is what I needed to do with life. So when I was done with this program and went back as a senior, I knew that I had to do something with my voice. They didn't know what I was going to be. They didn't know what I was going to study. But... College now became a thing for me. It became a reality. So I did my best to bump up my grades. And I was able to attain a little bit over a 3.0. So not the greatest GPA, but, you know, decent. And I remember when it came, came down to applying for schools, I didn't know the process. They didn't know anybody who had done it. Just followed my friends who were applying for school. And I remember thinking about what I was going to study. I didn't like math. I didn't like science, not so much. Later on, I would, but not at the time. The only thing that I loved was history. More specifically, my history. Because I had done some research on it as a 15-year-old or a younger teen. So I told myself, well, I guess I'll study this. And not realizing what would be the outcome of that or 
what opportunities would come out of studying Chicano studies. And all of my friends were applying for business and engineering and whatnot. But again, I felt out of place because my friends, those who I knew for a long time, who were not involved in the street stuff like I was, they had a clearer path. My influences were not so positive, so I could only go off of instinct and what I knew. And that's what I did. So I applied to basically all the Cal States. Uh, and I think UC San Diego or San Diego State, if I'm correct. And that was the only one that rejected me, San Diego State. But Cal State LA, Long Beach, all these other schools accepted my application. But because Chicano Studies was what I wanted to study, and Chicano Studies, the mecca of Chicano Studies was at CSUN, Cal State Northridge, that's where I decided to go. So I graduated from high school in 2005, got my first job at Target, and a few months after, I was in school. Northridge was about 15 minutes away from where I grew up, so I didn't have to commute too much. That's why I didn't stay at the dorms, that's why I still stayed at home. I remember my first day arriving and taking my shirt that said Mexican on it. And it had the M for rated M for mature, but it had Mexican. It was like a, you know, a meme before memes, right, on shirts. And I remember going to this math class that was actually a remedial course because I did so poorly on the entry level test. I had to take a remedial course. And I remember being in this course and seeing a lot of white folks for the first time in my life, in a classroom setting, because again, I went to predominantly Latino schools, and this was a shock for me, seeing kids who were not like me, right, and it wasn't the same, even though the school was still, I would say, predominantly Latino, you had a lot of them as well, but it was pretty diverse, so I was also introduced to diversity for the first time in my life. So I remember uh, being in this class and being in another specific course, English, another remedial course. See, I could always write and had ideas with my penmanship and my grammar and punctuation were absolutely horrible at the time. I wish that somebody would have told me that when I was in high school and middle school and elementary, but nobody did. And this specific instructor, Harry Gamboa Jr., who was a very famous Chicano artist in the community, uh, happened to be my instructor, my professor. And I remember the first couple of days, he would come in and just talk about his life. And I was a little concerned at first because I didn't know if he was going on to something, if, if he was going to teach us anything. And I was concerned that we were not going to pass the placement test. But he had a very interesting way of connecting whatever he was talking about to a subject we had to write about. And I remember the first day, not the first day, but the first time he had us write something, he said, I'm pretty sure a lot of you came from honors classes or advanced or whatever, but I guarantee that a lot of you are going to make mistakes on these papers and I'm going to catch them. And I said, sure, whatever, you know. I got my paper back and it was just awful of red marks. I felt mm -hmm. embarrassed. I felt ashamed. But he said, 
you guys can redo it. You can correct the punctuation marks. But I, I advise you to do two things. Every time you come to my class, bring a newspaper and bring a dictionary. This is back when smartphones were still not invented. So you had to carry an actual dictionary, a little pocket one. I took his advice. I began to read the dictionary. I began to focus on my vocabulary, on the way I spoke, on the way I wrote. By the end of the semester, uh, Harry spoke to me and said, I've noticed how you write. I noticed you have a pretty interesting story. And of course, it stuck out because it stuck out because I didn't look like all the other kids. I mean, again, I still look like a gang member at the time or a criminal or whatever, right? And he said, you have a very, very special way of writing and your story is very interesting. And Harry has a series called Chicano Mail Unbonded. In this series, he photographs Chicano males, specifically, that don't necessarily fit the stereotype of a Chicano, or maybe they do, right? But anywho, he chose to photograph me and my older brother, actually, because he got to meet him as well. So I was honored to be part of that series. So to go from one of the worst writers in the class to one of the best writers was a real honor for me. It was amazing to, to go for that. It gave me a lot of confidence. And it was after that first year that I began to really think about where I was going to go with my direction. As I got academic advising from my academic advisors, they told me what to take if I wanted to go into education. That's what I saw myself doing as an adult. I said, well, I, I think I could teach people. I know a lot of stuff, you know, so at least I, I think I do. And I needed to go through a different course and whatnot. And he said, you're probably going to have to also double major in history. So eventually I did. So I got to meet people from the history department, people from the Chicano studies department. And I got to learn a lot of things in college. Many, many things. I uh, made a couple of uh, acquaintances that I still talk to today. Uh, you know, made, made uh, had some interesting stories in college. But overall, when I was done with college, I was not the same person I was when I entered at 18 years old. Aside from the physical transformation that I had, again, I started as a criminal looking kid to when I came out, I looked like just like a regular Joe, right? Um, I went through a physical metamorphosis too. I literally grew my hair out. Went from having a shaved head every day to having my hair all the way down to my collarbone. Grew my hair out for about a year and a half. And it was during that time where I felt like my true self was coming out. Because this caricature that I created in my teens and early 20s was a response to what I called at the time society's wickedness. Again, I wanted to be respected so much that I wanted to dress the part. I wanted people to fear me. It wasn't until I just stopped caring about that 
right? And it just didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen like, oh, you know, I just want to do this. I remember it was during this time where I met uh, one of my uh, long-known, I guess, friends, acquaintances, um, Kim, right? So if you're listening to this, Kim, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about you a little bit. <laughs> I met her in about 2006, 2007, and I remember she was one of the first few Chicanas that really... Uh, intrigued me and I mean Chicanas because specifically Chicana because she challenged me in ways I had never been challenged by a woman before she made me think about things I didn't think about and we had a pretty good relationship for a long time you know uh, we hung out a lot I helped her out with school as well she got into UCLA eventually but Kim and I or really close at one point, right? And in 2008, uh, Kim and I stopped talking for a bit. And it was then and there that I just kind of grew my hair out. You know, I just kind of wanted just to reinvent, my, reinvent myself, I guess. You know, I, I began to distance, my, distance myself from a lot of people. And it started there, this transformation of, being this new person. And during this time, too, I also met uh, another woman. Her name was uh, Carolina or Carolina. Uh, and she helped me through this process as well. But then also we stopped talking as well. Um, and in 2009, 2010, which is when this was happening, I decided to finally grow my hair out. I'm sorry, finally cut my hair off after a year and a half of growing it out. Once it was long enough, I told myself, well, if I'm going to cut it off, I'm going to donate my hair to Locks of Love. I mean, it's, you know, what's the point of just cutting it off? So I did that. But I remember that specific year, 2010, I read this specific book called The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz. This book just opened up my, my eyes in a way I had never been exposed. It talked about emotional poison and healing whatnot. And it talked about how when you're a young kid, you're about three years old, you begin to have these uh, emotional scars and somebody metaphorically picks at them. And I began to reflect on my own childhood, not with my parents or with my family, but more so with my peers, because even though I wasn't really bullied as a kid, I, again, felt... Like I had to be on the prowl at the time because I was small. So people would make comments here and there, you know, oh, you're too small, you're too skinny, you know, whatever. Things like that that kids do to each other, you know. So I internalized a lot of those things as an adult, as a teen. And specifically, it came, it talked about love, right? All kinds of love, but more specifically romantic love. During this time... For whatever reason, I had shitty luck with women. I could not establish a relationship with women. Uh, it would not work out. You know, I would start relationships. They wouldn't last. So I felt very resentful towards women for a long time. I think if I would have gone through that path, I would have probably 
definitely subscribe to the incel culture, but I'm so glad I didn't continue with that. When I opened up this book, it made me see things that I had not seen before. And one of the things that I really, really connected with was this idea of fearless love. Loving somebody fearlessly. And I had never heard about anything like that in my life, but it made a lot of sense. When you love somebody or when you want to love somebody or want to be in a relationship with somebody, you have to be willing to be fearless with that. You have to be willing to lose everything. And I don't mean lose yourself in it. I mean, you cannot be scared to engage in a relationship with somebody because if you do, if you're afraid of what's going to happen to you, that you can never fully love, truly love, genuinely. You love from a place of hurt. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I told myself, whatever happens, happens. If I get rejected, if things don't go my way in a relationship, you know, then it is what it is. So I, I adopted this philosophy. And eventually, when I was out of school, out of, out of college, I met somebody, right? And I remember this was the first time in my life, I was about 23 years old, where I felt like I could be myself in a relationship. Before that, I could never really understood that. I, I never really felt that. And for whatever reason, this person felt, you know, I felt like they loved me for who I was. And it felt so great to be in a relationship like that. And I remember it just being so effortlessly. So I can honestly say this was the first time I was in love. I was 23 years old. So I, I, I went in. I went in hard. Right. But I was inexperienced with relationships. Like I said, I had never had one prior to that. I mean, I dated here and there, you know, but again, never fully committing to a relationship. And I remember things were great for the most part. And then something specific happened. Uh, when we reached, I guess, past the honeymoon stage, as I like to call it, she got very uh, upset with me. And I didn't understand why at the time, or I tried to understand. And, and she essentially said that I didn't know how to do anything, that I had to always ask for help when it, when it came to basic things like, you know, giving her flowers or taking her out to eat at a specific spot. And I was like, well, well, what's going on here? You know, I don't understand what you mean by that. And I explained to her that I didn't know how to love. I... I was new to this, right? That she was the first person that I actually loved. That I couldn't have any other experience before that. She needed to be patient with me. And I don't think she ever really believed that. Because shortly after that, you know, it just kept going south. And eventually that relationship ended. And I remember at the time, uh, it was 2011. This was the midst of the recession or towards the end, actually. I had just gotten fired from my job. I 
I'd gotten dumped. And every time I would apply for spots, I just felt like nobody wanted me. This was probably one of the first times I, f- I felt depressed in my life. I felt like I was worthless. And I had never felt that in my life. Never in my life had I felt that. I felt like I needed to prove myself like I did back in my teens. So for eight months, for eight months, I continued to engage with this person that I love very, very dearly. And it was just not good. It was not good at all. I felt her trying to control me. And she had all the, all the, uh, she had all the leverage at this point because I was the one trying to get back with her. And she was like, I don't know, you know. And I kept trying to do things the right way and bend myself backwards. And in hindsight, I, I can't believe I did that. But then again, you know, I was young. I was 23, 24 in love, not thinking straight. And I remember going through this. And eventually we got back together. And, you know, we, we uh, were good for a while. But then again, the problems arose again where I felt like she just wanted to control whatever I did. I couldn't hang out with my friends. You know, it's embarrassing to think about it now. But at the time, that's what I was doing. And it got to the point where this specific moment was for me was was the last straw. I remember going to a club with her and hanging out with her, uh, her brother, actually. He was there, too. And mind you, she invited us to go. And... I wanted to dance with her. She was like, I'm not right now. Okay, cool. I went, I went with my with her, with her brother. We had a couple of drinks and whatnot. We were gone for a while. We we're just talking. Came back. She was dancing with her friends. I came back and she was just being super defiant, just giving me the cold shoulder. And I was like, what's going on? And in her words, she said, go back with that bitch you were with. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, are you kidding me right now? I was with your brother the whole time, right? For me, that was it. That was the last straw. I was like, there's nothing I can do to this woman for her to trust me, for her to feel like I love her. I felt like I was stepping on eggshells. And I remember just saying, you know what? I'm done. And I took her home. And I said, I can't keep doing this no more. You have to change your ways. Otherwise, I don't know what else to do with you. She went home. I didn't speak to her for three days. And that's when I knew it was over. I remember my brother said, you can't keep doing this shit. You got to give her an ultimatum. And if she's not with it, you got to let her go. So I told her, I said, I cannot continue to be in a relationship with you if you continue to be jealous, controlling, insecure. So either you stop doing that or it's it's a wrap for me. And she said, I don't think I can ever change. So then I said, well, if that's how you feel, then 
it's over. And I don't think she thought I was ever going to do that. So me saying those things to her, she felt, I think she felt, you know, like, wow, I can't believe you did this. But I felt this great, like, relief of, like, wow, like, I, I did it. I took my, my, my life back. For the last two years, I've been with this woman back and, you know, off and off, on and off. And it just, it's, for the most part, it's been a nightmare. And I put up with it. Why? So I left. But again, continued to engage with her, you know, here and there. But it wasn't until I met somebody else year of 2012 and that specific year I experienced a lot a lot of things so when I met her uh, at the time I was doing music I didn't really expect to meet her and I met her through a mutual friend or at the time right and I remember seeing her, you know, just thinking, oh, cool, you know, she's uh, she's attractive, whatever, right? But I really wasn't trying to go for that. I, I was just there to do music. She came up to me, started talking about music. I was like, oh, yeah, I do music too. And she said she was an artist. She did poetry. Okay, whatever, right? And then she asked me if I was going to freestyle. I said, I don't know. I don't know how to freestyle. And she said, not yet. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know how to do that. She's like, well, no, not yet. She kept repeating that. And I was like, why does she keep saying this? I, you know, I was just, I was just kind of taken aback by that. But anywho, I did my thing. And then she went up there and she performed her piece. And I was just taken aback. I was like, wow, like she, uh, she can perform and she, and I need someone like that to, to work with. So uh, I approached her. I said, hey, I would love to work with you in the future. If I can get your contact information, let's, let's, let's do something. And she was, uh, she was okay with it. This is back in the day when, you know, people still use Facebook and whatnot. So I got a number, got Facebook, and then, you know, we just continued to converse. And I said, hey, let's meet up one day to talk about what we, we would like to do. And we did do that. And then as we continued to work together and, and hang out, it just became a natural thing where I began to feel more attracted to her. And I revealed how I felt about her through my music. We were writing a song and I told her what I felt. And then she called me and said, is this about me or is this just about, are we in character here? And I said, no, this is, uh, this is what I feel. And then she said, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, that's, if I want to continue with this. I said, okay, okay, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm just putting it out there, but if you don't feel the same way, I mean, I understand if you want to keep working with me too, if not, then that's fine too. So the last verse was her being, uh, basically trying to justify why things wouldn't really be good if we got together, right? Even that became a creative thing. So I was going back and forth with her in the last verse. But we still kept hanging out. We still kept doing music. And then eventually 
I felt her becoming closer to me. And I remember having dreams that she would say that she would say that she loved me and I I was like, what the hell is this? I mean, she's saying she doesn't, you know, so literally having dreams in my like physical dreams, not me thinking about that. And I remember one day she eventually told me that. And I was I was like, wait, what? I thought you said you didn't want to be in any kind of relationship. And she said, I don't, but I, I can't help it. I just like how I like what we have here. So we we uh decided to pursue it. Decided to pursue it and you know, um went for about a year and Everything was great for the most part. Everything was great up until the end. Uh, never had any arguments, but the way it ended, it was just really ugly. I'm going to spare you the details. I'm not going to go into it too much. Just anywho, uh, what ended up happening is uh, she did something that I did not approve of didn't like and eventually I became more possessive and resentful and controlling and that eventually had her you know step away and then I gave her an ultimatum too and I said uh, if you do not uh, want to pursue this or continue this and it's done and just like the other one uh, she uh she decided to go the other way, right? But these these two things, these two relationships uh, in my early 20s up until my mid-20s were, you know, growing pains because now I had been through two relationships, through two relationships, two breakups that were very painful I loved both of these women fearlessly, like the book said, and I gave it my best. I gave it my all, and I felt upset about it. I was like, man, like, like man, fuck this book. Like, it, it tells you to do this, but yet I'm still getting these shitty results. So I felt mad for a long time, you know. But then something would happen to me that would completely change my life. And that was when I met my wife. But that story on its own is another story that deserves its own episode. So I'm going to end it here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for always supporting. Once again, if you're not following me on IG, go to rasa.stan. Uh, if you're not following me on YouTube, go to Rasa Stamp Podcast. Obviously, if you're on here, you know how to get to me. But that is all I'm going to share today. The growing pains of being a young man. And now note, this is Flo. Rasa Stan. Take a stand to understand. Peace. I don't want to die. Oh, no. Let my soul go. Even after I have passed, I will forever live through my 
passion, commitment, and love.